0: The scripture today, uh, John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands
1: Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Tori. It's um, great to see different people participating in the service. We're all part of the body of Christ. When I was growing up, um, we moved a lot. So I started school in Nambour. We moved to Townsville, to Darwin and Brisbane. But there was... There are a number of things that just seemed impossible to me that have now actually happened. I'm giving away my age a bit here, but the fall of the Berlin Wall just seemed impossible. The breakup of the Soviet Union just seemed impossible. Seeing a human being walk on the moon just seemed impossible. The Australian men's basketball team defeating the US. <laughs> that took until just, you know, a few weeks back for that to happen. And also one day that I'd live in Tassie and raise my family here. That, that just never crossed my mind. Um, maybe that didn't seem impossible, but highly unlikely. I just couldn't visualise that happening. But there are other things that are not necessarily impossible... We know they're true, we just can't explain them. So things like quantum entanglement theory. Put your hand up if you know what that's about. All right, yeah, we've got a PhD, that's right. Okay, well, I'll, uh, you might be able to correct what I say, but I've done a little bit of research, and this is what I've been able to find. Things. Uh, this In 1997, a US scientist, Dr Nicholas Gieson... G I S I N of the University of Geneva and his colleagues showed that two paired photons of light eleven kilometers apart responded simultaneously when there was a stimulus applied to just one of these photons. So you Stimulate one and instantaneously the other one, like that's say that one was in, in Lonces and the other one's in Lagana, it would react. And whatever you did to this one would exactly happen to that one. And it seemed to break some of the bedrock rules of standard physics that nothing can travel faster than light, that objects are only influenced by their immediate surroundings. And scientists still can't fully explain how the particles are linked. Is are wormholes, an unknown dimension. It's, it's really difficult. And since then, they've repeated this experiment from space. So they've got a rocket circulating around the Earth, and they've, they've got two paired... Particles, photons, and they've stimulated one and instantaneously the one back on Earth responds. And they, they just can't explain how. that they, they don't know. It defies all the categories of science. But what intrigued me was that when I read this article about Dr. Gieson and what he'd done and the follow-up experiment from space... I couldn't believe how readily I actually believed it. You think about it, this is pretty amazing and and I'm an ignoramus when it comes to these sorts of things but I was persuaded by what I read. It was the published findings of a reliable scientific journal, peer-reviewed by fellow scientists, performed under strictly controlled conditions. I have no compelling reason to disbelieve what they say, even though it seems fantastical and impossible to my mind. Yet there must be an explanation, and one day maybe that explanation will come to light. But in the meanwhile, I see no alternative but to accept it. And it seems to me that what we've got before us here in John 20, is something like that something like quantum entanglement theory, only a lot more important. Because Jesus being raised from the dead seems so fantastical, we can't explain how or why, yet there are so many reliable witnesses saying it did happen, including Jesus himself, and, such, and so much hinges on what Jesus claims about his death and resurrection that we're confronted with a decision. Do I believe this or do I not? So let's look at John 20 and John's in, um, Thomas has this encounter with Jesus and decide for ourselves. We're going to look at what John tells us about this man, Thomas, what Jesus does with this man, Thomas, and then what we need to do with this God-man called Jesus. So what does John tell us about this man, Thomas? Well, we're told right up front here in verse 24, Thomas is Aramaic for twin. Didymus is the Greek word for twin. So it seems likely he may have had a twin brother or sister, but we know nothing whatsoever about his twin. Elsewhere though, in John's Gospel, we find Thomas urging the other disciples, let us go that we may die with him. And that was spoken when Jesus heard the news about Lazarus and, and he said, Thomas' response was, let us go that we may go back and die with him because Jesus' disciples, the rest of them said, Lord, are you going to go back and you're going to deal with this situation when the Jews there have just tried to stone you? Didn't seem to put Thomas off. He so, said, yeah, let's go that we might die with him. So he was no uh, weak, kneed, lily-livered, scaredy cat. He was was willing to go. It's also Thomas that said that question that I imagine the other disciples were all wanting to ask but weren't game to. He said, we don't know where you're going, Lord, so how can we know the way? To which Jesus famously replied... I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. It seems that Thomas was the kind of guy who was willing to ask questions that others were not quite willing to raise but it was certainly circulating in their minds. He was a fairly upfront sort of bloke and what we see here um, confirms that. That's exactly the kind of response we'd expect of a bloke that's independently minded. So verses 19 and 20 tell us that Jesus appeared to the disciples in a locked room on the evening of that resurrection, that first day of the resurrection, that first day of the week. But Thomas wasn't with them. The others were there. So there was the 11. Remember, Judas had gone out and hung himself. So there was at least 10, but probably the women and others were there as well. It just says, the disciples. But for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't present. And when they came to him and said, we've seen the Lord, and their eyes are popping, his response was, oh, no, I can't believe that. Unless I see those holes in his hands, unless I can put my hand right in the side, I'm not going to believe it. So he's really quite upfront sort of bloke. And, and he's, he says that to his disciples that he's just spent a number of years with. You would think that if they said they'd seen Jesus and they knew what Jesus looked like and they, they'd they also been with him, that he'd be likely to believe. But he wasn't. He wasn't. Now, there's also an issue here that comes up about uh, Jesus appearing. If you have a look... Um, Verses 19 and 20, and then again, from verse 26, we see that Jesus, when he appeared to his disciples, he appears in a locked room. Now, I'm not going to go into details about that, because there's a lot of speculation, did he somehow morph through walls, or what? All I will say is this, nothing is impossible with God, nothing. But it doesn't say anything about walls, it just talks about doors. It says the doors were locked on both occasions. So they're, they're hiding, they've gone into security, they're inside, they've locked themselves in the room and Jesus turns up. Now there's two other occasions in the book of Acts where we read about doors just swinging open by themselves under the power of God. Peter when he's released from prison. And and Paul and Barnabas, when they're in prison, with the Philippian jailer. And all the doors sprang open, and the Philippian jailer's about to, to kill himself, and Paul said, no, 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 don't do that. God is able to do anything he likes. And in the book of Revelation, we find the resurrected Jesus declaring to the to the church of Philadelphia, he says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I think this is really just a statement to us, not just about the disciples being scared, but the power and authority of Jesus over scared human circumstances. No barrier is too great for God. The only thing which can shut him out effectively is stubborn unbelief. When there's stubborn unbelief people miss out on knowing the Lord. So when the disciples told Thomas this good news we've seen the Lord he just downright refuses to believe and he sets up a test and he says I want scientific proof. I I just want to see it for myself. I want to put this finger in the hole in his hand. I want to put my hand in the hole in his side. Then I might believe. Notice his words, he said, I will not believe. So it's pretty definite. Now, was this a case of stubborn unbelief? Thomas had traveled with some of these men, obviously knew them well. You can imagine how they might have felt when one of their own says, no don't believe this i don't believe what you're telling me i can begin to imagine how i might have felt you might have been in a situation like that yourself where people have doubted what you know you've seen with your eyes but they just don't come to the party thomas was only doing to them exactly what they'd done to the women remember some women they came back Mary Magdalene came back said, we've seen the Lord. Look at what we're told in Luke 24, 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So the disciples were doing... doing you know, Thomas did to them what they had done to the women. It seems that just word of mouth itself is sometimes not sufficient for people to believe. They want to see... And they want to feel, they want to handle, they want to see the evidence for themselves. Now, you think about this, the Bible is so honest. It faithfully records the pig-headed actions of Jesus' followers. Sometimes when I'm reading the Gospels, I think I'm reading stand-up comedy. It's just astonishing to see some of the things that they do. Um, James and John cry out and say, Lord! Lord! how about you rain down some thunder and lightning from heaven and zap this mob? And I think, oh, there's times when I've felt like that. You know, Lord, will you zap this mob? You know, just just do stuff, you know, with what's going on in the world. And I realize i I'm no different. I really am no different. I remember my own pig-headed actions and ideas. And the weaknesses, the obvious weaknesses of the church, God's people. You know, I've seen a fight break out in a church at a baptism. And a young man who was going to be baptised, it happened here in Launceston. And uh, she was there and she was not a Christian, This, this young man was about 17, 18, and and he was going to be baptised and he's all eager. And just before we're about to start, up in the back row, this was a Gateway Baptist, it, uh, it all unfolded. And uh, it was just, I couldn't believe what was going on. And there's two guys, and bang, 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 and others dived on and tried to separate them. And this woman just turned to me and said, is this normal? LAUGHTER <laughs> I shook my head and reassured it, no, no, first time, first time. <laughs> Never seen this before, which was true. Now, talk about putting the church on good display, you know. But if if I was writing the Bible, I'd want to shuffle that kind of stuff to the back. I'd want to have the glossy brochure approach. I'd, I want people with smiling white teeth really slim, happy. I'd want to show all the good stuff. I'd try and do what China's just done for their 70th anniversary and trot out all the military hardware and show the power and might for the world to see. I'd want everybody to be marching in lockstep. I'd I'd want the Word of God to be just, man, this is overwhelming. But the Bible's not like that. It records the actions of a guy like Thomas. records the actions of others who who are scared and who do sometimes the most silly things. We read in Corinthians about some sad cases of immorality, etc. But we're told that the, the, the last two verses of this chapter, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. By believing you may have life in his name. You see, it's Jesus who turns unbelievers into believers. And what we're learning here about Thomas is he's a work in progress. And John is just being transparent with us and telling it like it is. His actions aren't really the actions of someone who has stubborn unbelief. He's just like so many of us, wanting to be given adequate evidence. Show me the proof and I'll believe. And his fellow disciples were just the same. They'd done it with the women. And Jesus turns up amongst them remember they, they had deserted him? One of them had betrayed him. Peter had denied him three times before the cock crowed. And he turns up amongst them and he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And that Hebrew word shalom that gets translated as peace, it, it was a common form of greeting. It meant something like Hello, peace, favour, health to you. It's a bit like we would say when we say, G'day, how are you going? And Jesus reassured his startled and fearful followers, peace be with you. How they and Thomas really needed that. How you and I need that. Especially when our actions at times really don't line up with faith. Really don't line up with trusting Jesus and and taking his word to heart. And next he makes Thomas realize that he knew exactly what had happened a week before. When the disciples got out of that locked room and they went and and Thomas first met them and said, Hey, we've seen Jesus. It's like Jesus was there and heard everything that went on because he was. And this must have been unnerving for Thomas. The Lord knew the thoughts and intentions of his heart. He knew what he what he'd uttered to his disciples. He couldn't deny it and Jesus' response was here. Here's the proof. Have a look. Stick your finger in the hole. Stick your hand in my side. Don't don't be unbelieving, but believing. Don't doubt. Stop doubting. Believe me. And we're not told that that Thomas actually needed to go ahead and do it. We're just told, it's like, it blurted out of his mouth, my Lord and my God. He could see the evidence. He believed. My Lord and my God so uh, he's utterly convinced he he can see with his own eyes jesus has given him all the proof he needs and what was predicted in john eight twenty eight had come to pass when you lift up the son of man then you will know that i am he then you will know literally in the greek that i am i am he so because of Thomas, we have the clearest statement of Jesus' divinity anywhere in the Gospels my Lord and my God. And because of Thomas, we have the utmost confidence that Jesus is the only way to God. He asked that question. And Jesus said, No one comes to the Father except through me. So what what Jesus does next is the crux of everything in this encounter. Because you have seen me, you've believed, Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who don't have this privilege of putting the finger in the holes in my hands and putting the hand in my side. Jesus knew that the time would come when he would rise up to heaven and that possibility of first-hand proof would be gone forever. There'd be a whole generation and many, many generations of people just like you and me who are not able to make this same demand of Jesus and say, unless I see the holes in his hands and in his side, I'm not going to believe. We could do that, but Jesus is at the right hand of the Father now. So he's thinking ahead. And notice what he said, he pronounces a blessing on those who have not seen yet believe. They believe the testimony. They trust the words. They trust the evidence of reliable witnesses. And he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He didn't actually condemn Thomas, but he pronounced a blessing on those who, unlike Thomas, would not require the same physical proof. So I think it's worth taking on board the fact that not only did Jesus pronouncing a blessing on such people, but he actually has prayed for such people. In John 17, Jesus is having what is called his high priestly prayer. He's praying to the Father and he says, My prayer is not for them alone, meaning his disciples. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. So Jesus prays for people like us, the second generation, who are not able to see firsthand and witness firsthand, but are actually willing to trust the reliable evidence of witnesses and have confidence that what we're told is true. It's interesting that various historical records and traditions say that Thomas travelled to sea, by sea to India, in AD 52 and was martyred there in AD 72 after witnessing boldly to the Indian people. Tradition refers to him as the Apostle to India and we actually have poems and records and a number of things. that seems to be quite, quite likely this did happen. It's not just an apocryphal story. So the evidence is strong and Jesus' prayer was answered. Thomas went on in the power of of the Spirit of God, knowing what he'd seen, knowing that the Lord was real and he was alive and he declared the gospel right across from Israel, across Iran, Iraq, that area, over into India. So Jesus' blessing and prayer is being answered throughout history. Look at us gathered here. We who believe and sing songs to the resurrected Christ, the exalted Christ. Blessed are we who have not seen and yet believe. And Jesus has prayed for us. And there's there's Nepalese, there's Chinese, there's Japanese, there's South Africans, Koreans, Egyptians, Kiwis. People from all around this world are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have not seen and yet believe. Millions and millions of them. But there's many, many more that still need to hear that message. So we've heard what John says about this man, Thomas. We've heard what Jesus does with this man, Thomas. He doesn't condemn him. He knows exactly what Thomas has said. And he, and he accepts Thomas's challenge and he delivers the proof. All he has to do is just show up. And Thomas believes. He comes to that confident persuasion in his heart Jesus is my Lord and my God. He's risen from the dead. I cannot explain it, but I cannot deny what my eyes are showing me and what I'm hearing. With my very ears. So the question then comes to us what will we do with this man Jesus, who is God and makes the claims that he's made and does the things that we read about? We know Jesus being raised from the dead seems utterly fantastical and we can't explain how or why it happened, but there are so many reliable witnesses saying this actually happened. And Jesus himself claims that this happened. And so much hinges on Jesus' death and resurrection. Do I believe him or do I not? Do we trust in this? The last two verses of this chapter, as I pointed out, tell us that Jesus performed many other signs, John's gospel is unique, it doesn't talk about Jesus' birth, it, just, it doesn't talk about his childhood, it doesn't give us a chronological account of, of Jesus growing up and it's not like an autobiography giving an overview of his life, half of the gospel is spent on the final week. And unlike the other Gospels, it goes right back to his time with the Father in eternity. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was God. It shows us his divinity from back there and then there's it's just a series of encounters. Nathaniel, Nicodemus, the woman at the well. They're all encountering Jesus and they're coming to be persuaded by the evidence so his witness to unbelievers is that, here, listen, meet me. So John 1, Nathaniel encounters Jesus. He came to faith and followed Jesus after Jesus said he'd seen him when he was sitting under a fig tree. Nicodemus the Pharisee encounters Jesus after being told by Jesus that he must be born again and listening to what this means, we find later he speaks up for Jesus and he's one of the ones who helps to bury Jesus. Clear signs of faith in Christ. The unnamed Samaritan woman encountered Jesus. She came to faith after Jesus told her the truth about her sinful relationships but did not reject her and pointed her her to the living water that he himself would give, that he himself is. In John 9, an unnamed man born blind encountered Jesus, and he came to faith after Jesus healed his eyes, and revealed to him that he was a long-awaited Messiah, when everybody else rejected him for it, and even rejected Jesus. And in John 20, Mary Magdalene encountered the risen Jesus, She came to faith after Jesus cast seven demons out of her. And she became the apostle to the apostles, being the last to see him buried and the first to see him alive. So here, Thomas encounters the risen Lord. He comes to faith when Jesus showed him irrefutable evidence of the resurrection after initially being a skeptic. You see, Jesus reveals God and he reveals God to men and to women, to children, to the immoral and the upright, to the blind and the seeing, to the rich and the poor, the demon-oppressed and even to his disciples, the able-bodied and the disabled, the underprivileged and the privileged, to everyone who would listen to him and believe his message. As Jesus said, the thief, comes only to steal and kill and destroy i've come that they might have life have it to the full so today we hear this evidence of someone who who demanded the overwhelming proof who was a skeptic and the ba- the bible faithfully records his skepticism and shows us his if you like the weaknesses just bringing out the truth of what he was like, so we can relate to him. Now, if people who aren't on top of their game become utterly persuaded because they they come to see it, then the Bible must be saying something true. It's not manufacturing and, and culling things so that it's just presenting the best and hiding the worst. It's showing us the lot. Will we believe, do we believe, that Jesus is the Son of God? Do we really believe he's our Lord and our God? Listen to these words written later by John, in 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. Because they have not believed the testimony God has given about His Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. we just confronted, like I was confronted by that article, do, do I believe this? And I just cannot find any reasonable grounds to disbelieve the evidence of Scripture. It's so clear, it's so honest, it's so patently uh, upfront and real. And I find the Spirit of God just persuades me this is the truth. These people saw Jesus and they're crying out, telling others. And the Bible goes out of its way to say, we're not second-class citizens if we weren't there. There's a blessing on us. If we will believe these things and take them to heart, God will come and give us life like he gave them life. Shouldn't we trust him to use the truth of, of what has happened To testify and show us the way, the truth, and the life? And can't we believe that God can use us too to pass on the news and tell others that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? If we believe He is our Lord and our God, then let our mouths just speak it out. Let our lives show it. Serve Him, love Him, testify to Him with all your heart, and don't be ashamed. I leave you with these words from Romans 10. The word is near you, the message of faith we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Let us not be put to shame. Let's not be doubting, but believing. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have done something so astounding in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that it seems fantastical, even impossible to our human minds. But remind us of the words of the angel who spoke to Jesus' father, Joseph. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And Joseph believed. Remind us of the words of your beloved son, Jesus our Lord. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Lord, by nature we're prone to unbelief when it comes to your words. Sin biases us towards rebellion and obstinate unbelief, even when the truth stares us in the face. Even now there are many things in your word that we feel the need to qualify Or justify lest we be thought of as naive and ignorant fools. Grant us the faith of Mary who declared, May your word to me be fulfilled. Forgive the half-heartedness of our faith. Give us the courage of our beliefs like Thomas. Where else have we to go? For you had the words of eternal life. Help us to give an answer to those who ask, for the reason, for the hope that we have. And Father, if there's anyone here today struggling to place their faith in Jesus, who senses the truth of his life and message, but hesitates to believe because of a sinful past, or what family or friends might say, or because they might be considered foolish, or if they fear they'll not be able to maintain their faith for the long haul, please sweep them off their feet by your Spirit. Hold them in the arms of your faithfulness and kiss them with the gracious promise of righteousness and peace through faith in Jesus. We pray this in the life-giving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God, our wonderful Saviour. Amen.